Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. Hey, love is. Famous passage, right? Love is patient, love is kind. There's like 16 attributes, and uh, if you have your Bibles, open up. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We, we started with that. We just acknowledged this, that Paul's, he, he starts this list off really weird. Because why would you start off with love is, love is patient? Because it makes this assumption that there's a problem, right? And so last week, we just learned this. Raise your hand if you're here last week. I'm looking, I'm looking. So you're going to get this right, right? Because we talk about love being patient, uh, love being kind. It assumes that there's a problem. And so just respond to me here. Do you remember the one word we talked about? It was love is... Oh, thank you. Thank you. For the rest of you that didn't remember, I'll ask a question next week and you get that one right. Love is messy. And uh, did you get an opportunity to practice patience this week? I told you God was going to give you some opportunities. And he did me. And you know what it reminded me of? That when love is messy and relationships are messy, it's easy to just create some distance. (laughs) It's easy to kind of back away and not be connected to people. And this is one of the things that we realized. This was our statement last week. Here, Here it is. Ready? We are imperfect people loving imperfect people imperfectly. But we, followers of Jesus, we're empowered by the gospel, which is God being patient and kind towards us. So in this passage, we get these 16 qualities, and eight of them are positive. Love is these positive things, and then love is not. This week, we're going to talk about the five words that follow this. Love is patient, love is kind, and then there's five things that he says, listen, listen, love is not this. And that's where we're going to go, but I want to introduce you to this concept by starting actually chapter 11 and telling you the story of this church in Corinth, because the, the Corinthian church, they had some serious problems. Let me explain to you. It's Sunday afternoon in Corinth. The church service is over. The, the preaching, uh, the, the praying, the, the, whatever they did in, the, in their gathering, they're, they're singing together, and everyone went home to go grab their best food, and then they were going to come back because that day they were going to celebrate communion together. You know, like we celebrate it, and there's these little cups, right? And they have a vile dropper of juice in there and a little wafer on the other side. They're around the rooms right now. We'll get to those a little bit later. But for the Corinthian church, when they did this thing, it was much more of what they might call a love feast. They would share a meal together. And at the end, they would break bread and be reminded that, oh, this is the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And this wine that we drink, this is his, a symbol of his blood that was shed for our sins, right? The problem with the Corinthian church, though, was this. They had some rich people and they had some poor people. And probably one of the rich people had this idea, listen, when we show up with our best food and our best wine, it makes the poor people feel bad. And actually, it doesn't even make them feel bad as much as, wow, it makes me feel really bad as a rich person. So you know what we should do? We could solve this. Listen, if you're rich, just show up early. And so the rich people, they showed back up to church early. And they indulged. 
There was a party before the party, and the poor people weren't invited. And by the time that the poor people showed up to church, it was very clear that there was a party before the party. There's a turkey carcass there. I mean, there's pieces of chicken laying around. There's empty dishes all over the place. And there's a lot of empty wine bottles. And over in the corner of the church lobby is Brother Bob, passed out, drunk. I know there's some of you think I'm lying. You think I'm like making up this story. There's no way that this story is actually in the Bible. Let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 17. This is the problem in the Corinthian church. I'm going to read this from a paraphrase of the Bible called the message. Here's how it reads. It'll be up on the screen behind me. Regarding this next item, I'm not at all pleased. I'm getting the picture that when you meet together, it brings out your worst side instead of your best. First, I get this report on your divisiveness, competing with and criticizing each other. And then I find out that you bring your divisions to worship. You come together, instead of eating the Lord's Supper, you bring in a lot of food from the outside and make pigs of yourselves. Some are left out and some go hungry. Others have to be carried out too drunk to walk. I can't believe it. You don't have your own homes to eat and drink in? Why would you stoop to desecrating God's church? Why would you actually shame God's poor? I, wouldn't, I never would have believed you would stoop to this, and I'm not going to stand by and say nothing. That's in the Bible. Can you imagine a church getting it that wrong? There's no sharing of food. There's no sharing of a meal. It's just every family looking out for themselves. If a family only had a bologna sandwich, and they brought that, they would feel the shame of their status as they entered the feast. Can you imagine being the poor person, walking in, realizing that there was just a celebration that you were not invited to? Think about this for a minute. What was that supposed to be? It was supposed to be this celebration about what they all had in common. Listen, we're all sinners. We're all broken. We've all violated God's ordinances. Jesus died, though, for all of us on the cross. The ground at the cross is supposed to be level. The ground at the cross should never reveal somebody's uh, financial status because finances, your wealth, doesn't actually gain you any status at the cross. But God, he loved all of us and sent his son generously to die on the cross for our sins. They're celebrating this selfless act of God and Jesus' humility to die on a cross for us. <laughs> but they did it in such a way that was unbelievably selfish. I mean, Jesus' attitude was about humility. But their attitude demonstrated boasting, envy, pride, dishonoring other people, and just self-seeking. I mean, is this the right time to mention that right after church we're going to have a party on the patio, do a little barbecue together? It matters how we celebrate. And you're all invited. I hope you'll join us. See, churches, they've been celebrating with meals for a long time, but the truth is um, we get it wrong a lot socially. Paul, he's actually trying to set their minds straight by reminding them. This is what he writes next. He says, let me give you the answer to the problem that you're having. The answer is the answer that I've already given you. It's called the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. This is what he writes. Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it's so centrally important. 
I received my instructions from the master himself and I passed them on to you. The master Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, he took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This, is, this cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. I mean, I can't think of a more somber moment to say, you see what we have here? These very elements, this bread. It's about my suffering. It's about what I did for you on the cross. And here's this cup, this juice, this wine that is symbolizing the blood. I mean, this is a somber moment. It's a moment of gratitude. He says, each time you drink this cup, remember me. But it's interesting, when the church got together to remember him, all they could think about was themselves. He goes on to write this. What you most solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact the words and actions of the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Don't become so familiar with this bread and this cup that you just take it for granted. Anyone who eats the bread and drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like the part of the crowd that jeered and spit on Jesus at his death. It's that kind of remembrance you want to be a part of? Examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe. I know it's kind of hard to imagine like us having a party on the patio and it going that far south, like it degrading that badly into social conflict where we're leaving people out and shaming other people and creating divisiveness, isn't it? I mean, it's, but can I just say this, churches, we've been getting relationships messed up for years. Um, Does this still happen in churches today? I'm going to tell you yes and prove it to you. Watch this video. We begin with men behaving badly. These men, though, these are holy men. Check this out. This was a brawl that broke out inside the revered Church of the Nativity, built over the traditional birthplace of Jesus. The feuding monks were there to clean the sacred space. They ended up, though, shouting at each other and eventually throwing brooms at each other. What's more, this isn't the first time this has happened. Similar fights have taken place during this cleaning ritual in the past. Wow. That's crazy. My wife and I, Kelly, we went to... um, We went to Israel, and we were on the tour inside this church of the nativity. That's exactly what it sounds like. Nativity, it's a church built over the place where they think Jesus was born. The Prince of Peace. The place where the Prince of Peace was born. These pastors and priests were definitely not people of peace. You know why the conflict broke out? Uh, We asked our tour guide about this, and she said this. There's actually four different churches that claim that same sacred space. So they take turns preaching and praying and holding services in that church space. But when the bathroom needs to be cleaned, none of them claim that they own the bathroom. The cleaning ritual, our tour guide, Mary, said this. She said, it's about the bathroom. They're fighting about the bathroom because no one wants to clean the bathroom and it gets bad. And so they're like, listen, you other people, you should clean this. That's your part of the church. Everyone wants the stage and no one wants the bathroom. So they war over it. Isn't that crazy? It's almost as crazy as 
us having a church service and someone walking in and out of our church and feeling like they don't belong. It, it's super easy to watch a video of another church and go, man, look how dumb they are. They don't even know what love is. It's so terrible. It's harder to look in the mirror and go, when do I get love wrong? So if love is patient and if love is kind, God, would you actually reveal to me God, would you actually reveal to us how we get that wrong? And so Paul, in his list, he says, I want you to understand this. I'm about to cover five things that love is not. And maybe this will resonate with you a little bit. So I'm going to give you the five things that love is not, and then I'm going to give you one word to remember that answers the question to what love really is. Now, I want you to take a look at something real quick. Jesus said this about how important it is that we love each other. This is in your notes. Love is actually the evidence of truly belonging to Jesus. If you claim to be a Christian and we have not love, our claim to be a Christian might actually not be true. This is what Jesus states in John 13. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. This is the night where he's serving communion. He's serving the bread and the cup and showing them, I'm about to die for you. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Now that I've done this thing and I've washed your grimy, dirty feet, and no one else washed your feet when you entered, would you as God's people go out and serve people in such a way that you would wash their feet? Do the thing that's humble. And then he says this, just a few verses later, he says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. If you have love for one another, that's going to prove that you're on my team, that what I talk about has taken root in you. So before we um, throw stones at other churches <laughs> and other Christians getting it wrong, I just want us to get the weight of the fact of what, what love is. It's the sign, it's the evidence that we actually truly belong to Jesus. So this is important for us to get right. So here's what Paul says. After he says love is patient, love is kind, here's the five things in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that he says love is not. You ready? Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Let me read that one more time. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. So question, what is it? Envy. It sounds like this. I wish I had what they have. (laughs) That's what envy is. Now, if we love each other, if we love well, envy is not a part of it. But envy says this. I really wish I had what they had. I wish they had their good looks. Mm. I wish I had, well, something simple like their car. Mm. I wish I had that house. (laughs) I wish I actually had someone like their spouse. I wish I was dating someone like they had. I wish I had their friends. I wish I had their job. I wish I had their bank account. I wish I had their life. Now, we never say things like that. <laughs> we just think them. <laughs> it's subtle sometimes. Now, it's interesting because we, we use the word envy and jealousy kind of interchangeably. They're not actually the same word. Let's make sure we get this. Envy is the emotion of coveting what someone else has. I wish I had what they have. Jealousy is the emotion related to fear that someone might take something that you have. 
I think Paul is saying you cannot truly love someone if you're wishing that you could take from them. You can't truly love them if you're wishing that you could get something from them. Um, let, me, let me say it this way. Do you ever struggle to celebrate someone else's win? A colleague at work gets a promotion. And you're like, yeah, way to go. That's so great. I haven't had a promotion in a while. I deserve that. Or it may be even worse. You're like, they don't really deserve that, man. They're, I've seen their work. It's shabby. They've just been here long enough. Parents, some other kid at school gets an award. And you think, you know what? My kid's better than that. Or my kid deserves an award. Or maybe somebody shares the news with you. Hey, I got some good news for you. Boom. And you, they tell you their great news. And you respond with, well, you know what? I receive. And all of a sudden, the story becomes about you. It's actually a sign of envy that we cannot celebrate when other people win. Love does not envy. And then it says this. It does not boast. What's boasting? Look how great I am. Look how great what I have. Look what I can do. Look at who I am. The, the legal definition of the official definition is to display yourself, especially under false pretense, making yourself appear a little better than you actually are. Today, we call those resumes, right? Or today, we call those social media. You know, social media, I love watching when people mess up. It's when they actually go, oh, man, I didn't get it right. Look at this fail. And they're talking about themselves, not someone else. Because, man, I look at some of your social medias and... Sometimes I want your life. Oh, that's a great trip. Well, that's a, that's a, a great experience. That, that's, I mean, don't we all put the highlight reel of our lives on social media? It's one of the reasons why some people don't do social media. Because the reality is, is we connect with people when they struggle. We connect deepest with people in their brokenness, not in their boasting. So love does not envy. It is not boasting. It is not proud. What's being proud? Sounds like this. Do you know how important I am? There was um, the race for the, the governor office in Massachusetts, and the, one of the guys, the candidate who was running, uh, he, he skipped breakfast because he had a series of meetings prepping for this rally. He had been campaigning so hard, he skipped lunch. Finally, at the rally, he got up and, and he spoke. He got down, and there was this meal that they had, and they had this, this chicken, I mean, this barbecued chicken as part of this rally, and he goes through the line, and he's like, I have not eaten in so long. I'm so hungry. He goes through the line. He grabs his plate, and there's this lady serving the chicken, and she gives him a piece of chicken, and he's thinking, I'm so hungry. He says, could I have another piece of chicken? She says, I'm, I'm sorry, sir. We're just giving one piece of chicken per person. But once everybody goes through, you can come back through. And he's thinking, seriously, I'm really, really hungry. I haven't eaten like all morning long. Can I please have another piece of chicken? And she says, sir, I need you to move on because we're just giving people one piece of chicken. And I, we'll, we'll give it you another one once everybody's eaten. We'll let you come back through. And so he's kind of, he's getting that hangry kind of thing. He's like, I'm pulling the card. Ma'am, do you know who I am? I'm the candidate who is running to be the governor of Massachusetts. And she says, sir, do you know who I am? She says, I'm the woman handing out chicken. Move on. (laughs) 
I don't know how important you are, and maybe you're very, very important. You could be a legend in your own mind. I don't know. <laughs> but do you ever pull the importance card? Do you know how important I really am is what pride sounds like. Love is not, does not show envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. What, what does it sound like when someone dishonors another? Um, it sounds like this. Hey, did you hear about, and that's the line that introduces gossip, but then you tell a story about something that might be embarrassing to someone else. <laughs> it's rarely bragging about someone else, right? Hey, did you hear the story about so-and-so, how great they did this, how wonderful they are, and you're not bragging about them. You actually, well, did you hear about so-and-so that they, and all of a sudden you do something that they would be embarrassed of if they knew you were telling that story. I know it creates interesting break room conversation, but it's actually dishonoring of others. So it is not dishonoring of others. It is also not self-seeking. What is self-seeking? Sounds like this. I just want to know what's in it for me. Now, we probably don't say that, but we sure think about this. What am I going to get out of this? In this scenario, if I help, what's in it for me? Now, here's the truth. I, I could probably ask you, could you list those five things? I just got done speaking them, right? And my guess is this. You're not going to be able to get all five of those. So I'm going to give you one word that's the opposite of those five. And really, if you can remember this one word, so that when I ask you next Sunday, you just make me feel good about myself. You just got to remember this one word. It's this. Love is humble. Love is humble. It's not envious. It's not prideful. It's not boasting. It doesn't dishonor people. It's not self-seeking. Because love is, love is humble. So what does it mean? I think it means this. Love sees people. It looks at them. And it doesn't just see them on the outside. It sees their story. It sees the things that they care about, that they love. It sees their weaknesses. It sees who they are, loves them anyways, and seeks to meet their need. Let me explain this to you. Oh, y'all are going to get this. You've all flown Southwest Airlines, right? We know how this works, Right? You go on 24 hours in advance. And so we set our alarms. We fly a lot of Southwest, all right? We set our alarms two minutes before the deadline so that 24 hours in advance, you check in, right? Ahead of all those other suckers who end up in group B. And those totally lame people who like end up in group C, you get in group A. And then you line up, group A, please line up. And you're like, I don't know what that is, but you get it. And you get onto the plane ahead of all those other chumps, and you find your seat. And tell me if this isn't true. You sit down in an empty row, and you're like, woo, by myself. And you don't know if this plane is going to be totally full or, or there's going to be empty seats, but we all do the same exact thing. You turn around, you face the front of the plane, you sit down, and you look down, 
Come on, you know you do. Because you cannot look at that person walking down the aisle because you get eye contact with them and they might think that you just gave them the nod of like, empty seat here. Right? I'm not a big guy, but I'm not a tiny guy. So for me to sit for whatever it is, an hour, two hours, five hours, wherever we're going, like this is not fun. So don't look at them. Whatever happens, just don't, don't look up. It's great when you wear a baseball hat. You just pull it down a little bit like this. <clears throat> and you tell everyone, I don't see you. But truth be told, I've been the chump. <laughs> There's moments where I go, oh, I forgot to check in. This is when I fly alone because my wife, she never forgets. She's like on it, right? But sometimes I forget and I'm the guy in group C and I walk in to the walk of shame. Walk down the aisle. Everyone's facing you. And as you walk, it's like, it's almost like you're holy. Because as you walk in, heads just bow as you walk by. You know what I'm saying? Because they will not look at you. It's a subtle thing. But when you walk in, have you ever felt like, oh, I don't belong there. I don't belong there. I don't belong there. Maybe I don't belong. Now, I don't know if you want to try this the next time. You're like, hey, you know what? I heard this great message. I fly southwest this next week. I'm going to try it. I'm going to sit down in my seat, and as people walk down the aisle, I'm just going to... I'm going to look at everyone. Stare at them. You can sit here if you want. I guarantee you'll have an empty row, because that's just weird, all right? It's the experience, though, that we all want to be seen. And you have the power and your capacity to love people so that they're seen. Can I just do something weird for a sec? Look at each other. I mean, don't look at the person you came with. You know them. Just look around the room for just a second. You're going to see faces, but do you see them? There's some young people. There's some old people. There's some old people. There's some men. There's some women. There's people who are sitting in large groups. There's some people sitting by themselves. Do you know anything about their story? About what they love? About what aches their heart? Do you see them? Because it's one thing for it to happen on a Southwest Airlines flight. But it's a whole other story for people to walk in and out of this building and not be seen. But we have the power to see them. Love that is humble sees people. It's not prideful. It's not boasting. It's not self-seeking. It doesn't brag. It doesn't seek its own interest. But if you can just remember this one thing, love that is humble it sees people, and it makes this attempt to respond to their needs. See, there's people who walk down our aisles every single week, and they got things that ache their heart and things that they're celebrating over. 
But can, let, me, let, me, let me put my finger on this too. Do you allow yourself to be seen? I know you come in. And sometimes after the service, I make my way to the back of the room. You know why? For the sprinters. Because when that last song is over, it's like, whew, as fast as you can get to the parking lot. It might be a good time to say that we, there's a barbecue after church today. Some of us, we don't want to be seen. And you will never get the sense that you belong without being a little bit more transparent and vulnerable and open to being seen and known. So maybe stick around today. Maybe someone will look at you and say, I see you. There's a seat here for you. Because a church that embraces what love is, a humble church, it sees each other. It knows each other. And it responds to the need inside of us. The answer, if you've never experienced this, the answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus saw us in our brokenness. He saw us when we were sinners and broken and messed up. He saw us when we failed. And he said, I know your need. Your need is you need to be returned to God. You're separated from God. Your sin separates you from a holy God. I see your need. Philippians chapter 2 says this. Jesus, the Son of God, in all of his humility, comes down to earth. Talk about pride. Pride is being uppity. Pride is being up here. Humility, the word literally means to go low. And he came from on high and descended on low to us to live a poor life and to die a miserable death on the cross so we could be forgiven. His love is humble. So can I say this? Don't try to go be humble this week. I'm going to lead us through an experience where instead of trying to be humble, I want you to recognize how God humbly loved you through Christ and his life and death on the cross. We call it communion, the Lord's Supper. It's the thing that the church in Corinth got really, really wrong. At our church, here's how we do it. There's tables around the room. and You don't have to be a member of our church. You just have to be a follower of Christ to participate in this. And there's this little cup. <laughs> and on one half, there's bread. And you turn it upside down, and there's juice. It's not very fancy. But you don't need something fancy to celebrate the most meaningful, humble act. It's this bread. And Jesus said, I want you to take this bread. I want you to break it and remember that my body was broken for you. And we invite you to eat that. And just give God thanks for the hum humility that he showed in coming to love us and provide a way to be forgiven and known by him. And then there's juice. And Jesus said on the night that he died, he, he said this, uh, the night before he died, he said, I want you to, to drink this because it's the symbol of my blood that's going to be poured out for your forgiveness. Because I believe this, when we participate in this, when we remember the humble love that God has for you. Look, he sees you. He knows your need, and he'll meet it. And the truth is this. He keeps meeting our needs, and he keeps seeing you. Don't try harder. Step back and just be in awe of how God, through Jesus, has loved you. And your heart will slowly start turning towards him. To love people in a humble way, which means... I see you, and I'm going to respond to you. Let's do this together. We're going to end with a prayer. Would you stand with me?
I'm going to have the band <clears throat> come out, and uh, this is what we're going to do. We're going to try and practice this together. We're going to read this prayer. It's going to come up on the screen. Um, this is just a prayer all about having a humble love, loving people in a humble way. Now, as we read this together, I know it's easy to drone on, like, God, like barely read it. I'm going to ask you, if you're a follower of Christ, to read this with conviction, because this is about what God has done for you, and there's also a request in here of God, change me, God, move me, God, do this in in my life. And so, here we go. You guys ready? It's on the screen. I want you to read this with me with some gusto. Ready? Here we go. God, you saw me in my brokenness and sin, and you stepped in to meet my needs. But it's more than that. You continue to see me. Walk alongside me and help me in more ways than I recognize. Thank you for your generous love. God, give me eyes to truly see people in my path, to see their value, to see their hurts, to see their fears, to see their needs, and to respond in practical ways with a humble love. Amen. I'm going to invite you right now if you're a follower of Jesus, to take this moment in worship and there's communion elements around the room and in the balcony for you and have a moment to just give God thanks that he showed humility in loving you and may it transform your heart. Go receive communion.